It comes down to love and it comes down to your heart. It's very telling that Jesus goes straight into who is your neighbor? Somebody that you think is unworthy, that you think is unclean. We have to love better. We have to support people more. We have to see the humanity in others. Being faithful doesn't look like a specific gender. It doesn't look like a specific race. It doesn't look like a specific class. Being faithful is about your heart. But God is saying to each and every one of us, I want you just the way you are. Come to me, I want you. Hey everybody and welcome into the Seeking Peace podcast. Thank you so much for all the feedback and compliments from episode zero. We got so many more compliments and, and so much more feedback than we were expecting. So thank you to all the people that wrote into us, the people that listened and didn't write into us. Um, we're so grateful to be supported by you. And, and this is just evidence that this is the type of environment. This is the type of thought-provoking questions that people are looking for and, and what our souls long for. Yeah, no question. And if you missed the episode zero of the podcast, you can always go listen uh, on iTunes or on Podbean, wherever you like to, to get your podcasts. Um, if you didn't listen, you can listen to it once or you can listen to it twice or, you know, <laughs> and, and leave one or two reviews want. or three or yeah, four, something like that. <laughs> however many reviews you want. But if you didn't listen, I'm Aaron. Kaylee introduced herself. Um, so well, kind of <laughs> one. I forgot you. <laughs> yeah. Oops. But yeah, so this, the episode one or our second podcast, the reason we called it episode zero is because we, we recorded it a while ago, but we wanted to kind of, you know, stockpile some, some interviews and some conversations. Um, but we just kind of felt compelled, like, Hey, we need to get this out there, even though we may not be fully, uh, ready content wise. Um, so that's why it was called episode zero. And, and again, we felt like we, we almost needed to do a response episode because we got a bunch of questions, um, and, and lots of comments and, you kind of request for us to elaborate on some of the things we talked about in episode zero. Uh, and the biggest one was when we talked about when something comes into conflict with your faith, your faith wins. Lots of questions and, and requests for elaboration on that. Uh, and, and it's a topic that it, it, it's not as straightforward uh, as it might seem. Uh, in some cases it is. Like we talked at the end uh, of episode zero and we talked about immigration and separating kids with their families. Like that, There's no question what, what your faith is telling you to do in that situation. Your faith is not telling you to separate kids from their families. So that, that's a pretty cut and dry, straightforward example. But there's definitely other examples and other instances where it may seem like, hey, I, I'm doing this to protect my faith, but are you... Is that the approach that Jesus taught? Is that the approach that Jesus took when he was here and that when we read about uh, him in the Gospels? And Aaron, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about in episode zero, which is don't use your faith as an excuse. So, I mean, there's this, there's this fine line of when something comes into conflict with your faith, your faith wins, but then not seeking out instances to use your faith as an excuse to do something and to act in a way in which Jesus wouldn't, because that's just not using the Bible correctly. That's just taking things out of context. That's just 
using your faith as an excuse, which I think Christians do sometimes and it's not okay. And it, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And so I think that we're going to get into some stuff later where we talk about uh, the book, Mending the Divides, and they have some really, really good input on this using the Good Samaritan as an example. Yeah, I think, and we can, we can, we can go ahead and jump into that. We, uh, we talked about this and, and we referenced this book in, in episode zero, Mending the Divides by John Huckins and Juris Swigart. And uh, we talked about, you know, how, how are we going to, you know, kind of convey the message they put in, in this book and in, in one of the sections of this book. And then we got to the point where like, <laughs> listen, we're, we're not going to be able to say this any more eloquently than they do and any more precisely than they do. Um, so we're and just... they put a beautiful spin on this Good Samaritan story that honestly I had never thought of until I read this read this uh, portion of the book. Yeah, definitely. So we're gonna we're gonna read that, and I think it's gonna very concisely, eloquently, precisely um, describe what exactly we're talking about here. We'll we'll kind of jump into different parts and and talk about some of our thoughts. But again, this is um, from the book Mending the Divides by John Huckins and Jer Swigart. We cannot encourage you to read this enough. The, this was um, just one of those books that it, it, it's a breath of fresh air uh, in, a, in a divided country, in a divided time. Uh, it's one of those books that if you're, if you're wondering, like, I, I don't, I don't want to go down these two choices of paths that the world is kind of giving me right now, this book is such an insight into that different path that we referenced in our in our previous episode. So this is again from uh, Mending the Divides by John Huckins and Jura Swigert. The section is called The Good Samaritan. There's a poignant story in the Gospel of Luke that has stood the test of time. It's regarded by people of all faiths as a story that reveals the very best and worst of humanity. The parable is named after the protagonist, a good Samaritan, who helped an abused victim alongside a dangerous road. As riveting as the story is, and continues to be each time it's told and retold, it's also an answer given by Jesus in response to an important question by a real person. The questioner was a young Pharisee who at first sought insight into how he could be in community with God and his friends for eternity. It was an excellent question, but he was a scholar and already knew the correct answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, verse 27. Almost dismissively, Jesus affirmed the young lawyer's knowledge and encouraged him to live out these two critical teachings of the Torah. But there was something else the young man was digging for, so he asked a follow-up question. And who is my neighbor? Luke chapter 10, verse 29. This inquiry was fueled not by a sacrificial desire to love all humanity, but was myopic and self-serving. The real question being asked was, who am I obligated to see, and who am I allowed to ignore? Understanding the question behind the question, Jesus answered by telling a controversial story. The Good Samaritan was and is a masterfully told parable about crime, violence, racism, injustice, mercy, and compassion. It is a marvelous story in which Jesus chose to identify someone outside his own people group and faith tradition to exemplify a faithful life. A contemporary comparison might be if a well-known pastor offered a Syrian Muslim refugee, an undocumented Latino migrant, or an HIV-infected transgender woman as an example of what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. The story Jesus told both answered the lawyer's question and exposed the peacemaking heart and activity of God. Its impact went even further, though, 
as it offered an invitation to the lawyer, those who listen then and those who listen today, to go and live likewise. So a few things that I really love in that short passage, and there is going to be more getting to the heart of the Good Samaritan story, but um, I, I love how Jesus takes an unexpected hero. And I love how the authors of Mending the Divides compare it to what that would look like nowadays. That would look like an HIV-positive transgender woman or a Syrian refugee or a Latino immigrant. Like, the hero of the Good Samaritan is not someone that you would expect to be a hero. I think that that is just a small illustration that we need to take down some of these thoughts that we have about what being faithful looks like because being faithful doesn't look like a specific gender. It doesn't look like a specific race. It doesn't look like a specific class. It doesn't look like a specific anything. Being faithful is about your heart. I think that as the, the authors get more into the story. We'll talk more about that. But I think it's so easy to just look at someone and make a judgment on what their heart is before actually getting to know them. And I think one of the most beautiful things about this story is the fact that the Good Samaritan immerses himself into this situation and understands the heart of someone and honestly, probably because he's broken, he's able to do that. I, I think that for, for people, if you've been broken before, if you've been hurt before, sometimes it's easier to understand where that broken or hurting person is coming from. And not that I wish any sort of hurt on anyone, but if you've lived in privilege and if you've lived in a, a bubble sheltered world your whole life, it's going to be really out of your comfort zone. And it's going to be really difficult for you to begin the path of understanding towards the other. But that's what we're called to do as Christians. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of good stuff in, in what you said and getting out of your comfort zone and because it, it is our, it's a, it's a default setting that we have to want to be around people that look like us and that think like us and that talk like us it doesn't it doesn't make you an evil bad person because that that is no. what you what you tend to go towards that that's pretty natural we're we're trying makes you a human exactly yes. that's that's just that's a human trait that we all have um, but we're definitely called um if you're a christian you're you're called clearly in the bible towards people who aren't like you uh, and if, if you're not a Christian, you're from a different religion, uh, I think it's clear to see the benefits of pursuing people who are different from you because we are, we are stronger when we have a little bit more diversity around us or a lot more diversity around us. So a, a great point there by getting out of your comfort zone. And then also, I think it's just so interesting that when this Pharisee, um, and, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, Pharisees were usually the, the religious elite who had kind of the quote-unquote quote, rules down or what they're supposed to follow, but they didn't have a whole lot of heart behind what they were doing. They um, were very privileged. They would also be a very privileged class in that society. Exactly, exactly. So I think it's really interesting that when the Pharisee asked Jesus, you know, who is my neighbor? 
Jesus doesn't doesn't qualify this as well. You know, it's 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 your family, it's your friends, it's the people around you, but also it's no, he doesn't do that. He goes directly to it is someone who you deem as unlovable or someone who you deem as very different from you. He doesn't qualify or with anything else. Even in the else. case of a Samaritan, it is someone that you deem as unworthy. I mean, back in the day, like like Pharisees and Samaritans did not interact. Like this was, it was very taboo. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't something that happened. And that's who Jesus used as the hero of the story. That's who Jesus used as, this is your neighbor. And I don't think we can underestimate that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I just think it's, it's really, uh, it's very telling that Jesus goes straight into who is your neighbor? Somebody that you think is unworthy, that you think is unclean. Um, it's just really, uh, just very telling to, to the heart of Jesus. All right, so we're going to continue on in this Good Samaritan story. Again, this is from Mending the Divides by John Huckins and Jer Swigart. The story began with a man walking the dangerous 17-mile Jericho Road while a group of people hid and waited for an unsuspecting victim. The traveler was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That happens in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. As blood saturated the dirt road, the predators made away with the man's belongings, only to regroup, count their spoils, and likely do it again and again and again. The story continues with the arrival of the religious elite to the site of the violence. Jesus continued, A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Luke 10, 31 and 32. The priest on his way home from performing his religious duties at the temple in Jerusalem was first on the scene. In Jerusalem, he had likely offered sacrifices on behalf of Israel's sins. Simply put, his sacrificial work was supposed to enable Israel to live out its vocation as a people of blessing to foreigners, the marginalized, the exploited, and the misunderstood. On this particular day, his work completed, he was returning home to Jericho when he stumbled upon a voiceless victim on a broken road. What the priest noticed that day no doubt raised a series of questions that would have created a dilemma for him. Is this an ambush? Am I the next voiceless victim? Is this person a deserved sinner? Did he have it coming to him? Is he a Gentile, or, God forbid, a Samaritan? Is he already dead? What will happen to me, my ability to perform my religious duties and my reputation among the religious elite, if I choose compassion over indifference? The questions led to conclusions that informed the priest's action. Distracted by his desire to return home and remain faithful, he chose to cross by on the other side of the road and ignore the broken life in front of him. His understanding of religious faithfulness stymied his compassion. Fear of disqualification and a soiled reputation won the day. His religious understanding of serving God interrupted his ability to see and respond to the pain he had stumbled on. I think it's so interesting the way that he talks about this is that this is a priest. This is someone whose essential job it is to make sacrifices, like he said, on behalf of Israel for the marginalized and the misunderstood. But when there's a marginalized and misunderstood person right in front of him, he's so concerned with how it will affect his duty 
that he chooses not to see that person. He chooses to just walk on by. And I, I just think to myself, how many times have, have I done this? How many times have we as a society been so busy with what we think we are supposed to do that we don't see what's in front of us? We don't see the hurt person directly in our path. Uh, and we walk on by, and I definitely think that it's not a problem of just the religious elite back in the day, that, that it's a problem that's happening today and here and now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it speaks to a couple of different angles of this, you know, this, this line, his understanding, talking about the, the religious elite, uh, his understanding of religious faithfulness stymied his compassion. Um, I think obviously like the angle that we're talking about right now is that, you know, lots of Christians have this notion of what faithfulness looks like and it, it makes them leap over people and step over people and, and not be compassionate towards people. And we obviously have to do better because we're, we're called to, to more than that. Um, the other angle is that sometimes Christians who are not acting in a loving way and should do better and need to do better and are, are wrong in their actions at the same time, it's not as simple as this person is just bigoted and selfish. That There are Christians who are trying to live out a faithful life, but doing it very imperfectly. And that's, that's kind of, when humans get involved with something that, that's as perfect as the love of God, we're undoubtedly going to screw it up. Just like we said, one of our default settings is going towards people who are just like us and think like us. I think another default setting of human beings is messing things up. That That's... One thing that we usually do. So, again, really just interesting, different angles that I think this is speaking towards. All Definitely. Right. So we're going to continue on, um, again, many of the divides in this story about the, the Good Samaritan. So, too, a Levite entered the story. He traveled the same road, and like the priest, happened on the man left for dead. A similar set of questions would have emerged for the Levite, causing him to also notice, rather than see, the voiceless victim. Before moving too quickly into a critique of the religious elite, we should note that they often get some unfair treatment in our readings of this story. In first century Judaism, ritual purity was of paramount importance to members of the religious community who acted as mediators between God and the people. For them, ritual purity or cleanliness was central to remaining faithful to God and the unique vocation they had, entrusted, they had been entrusted with. If they compromised their cleanliness, even if it meant walking by a dying human being, they could compromise the well-being of the greater community of God they were called to represent. It's not that they were trying to be bad people. They were simply trying to be faithful people. Oh, Aaron, I can't let you move on without emphasizing that point once again. It's, it's not that Aaron and I or that the authors of this book are, are saying that when there's a conflict with your faith that when your faith wins, that you're, you're a bad person because you're following the rules and because your faith wins. But I also think that when humans are involved, when, when lives are involved and when there's hurt and it, it's just so much more nuanced than that yeah. in certain situations. And so I just want to overemphasize that point. It's not that we or the authors are saying that you, if you've done this before, or me, when I've done this before, that we're bad people. It's just, 
asking yourself a series of questions to really get to the heart of the issue and to really try to understand the nuance and understand your faith at a deeper level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, we'll continue on here. We can imagine them asking the question, to which am I more responsible, the dying man on the side of the road or the well-being of the larger community God has called me to represent? We might think we are in a position where caring for the dying man and the larger community aren't mutually exclusive, but it's not as clear as we might initially think. We can't point our collective finger at the unfaithfulness of the religious elite without first evaluating our understanding of faithfulness. How often do we avoid those who are different from us or who act in ways we see as sinful because we are concerned that they or their actions might taint our faithfulness? Or asked another way, how often do we consider how our associations could compromise our witness, reputation, or orthodoxy? To the shock of those listening to this story, Jesus placed the religious elite in the same camp as the violent few. Both groups failed to see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in the voiceless victim. While the violent few saw him as an exploitable object, the religious elite saw him as a compromising inconvenience. The blood from a slow, lonely, agonizing death was on the hands of both the violent and the religious. So I think just concisely put in, in kind of that last section there, the, the message is Christians, be better. People who may not, may not be a Christian, uh, we hope that you can understand when we screw this walk up and we're going to do it, we hope there's just a small part um, of you that, that can see it's not always out of malice or bad or evil intentions that Christians imperfectly walk in their faith. But most of all, Christians be better. And I think it's I think it's biblical to be to be harder on Christians because Jesus did that. He he called out the Pharisees quite a bit. And when we say be better, what we mean is is to ask yourself these questions. I think we're gonna get a little bit more into the story um, in, in a little bit. But my girlfriend came to me after listening to the podcast, and and she said that she loved it and she was so excited about it. But she, she made a comment that was really interesting to me, and I kind of wanted to dive in a little bit more and ask her some questions about it. And she said, everything that's happening with the Supreme Court and the baker that refused to make a wedding cake for a couple's wedding that was not heterosexual, it was a homosexual couple, and, and the baker refused to make their wedding cake. And the Supreme Court said that um, in that situation, I guess that they decided, okay, you can do that based on your religious beliefs. She said that she was really confused. She said that she, that her stomach was hurting and, and she was confused because it didn't feel right. But she thought to herself, I just must, I just must not be a good enough Christian. I just must not understand this enough because, you know, it seems like these people are very faithful. It seems like they're using the Bible it seems like they're following what they they're supposed to be doing. So I personally just must not be faithful enough because this kind of is giving me a little bit of an icky feeling. And she was asking me questions like, well, Kaylee, in your podcast last week, you, you guys were saying uh, when something in, comes into contact conflict with your faith, your faith wins. And sometimes people view faith as these rules that you have to follow. And 
I was saying to her, no, it's that it is more nuanced than that. And that I, when I feel like maybe something comes into conflict with my faith or when there's something in the Bible and there's also a person and a human that deserves love and, and needs understanding and compassion, what do I do? My first inclination is to look at Jesus and to look at what Jesus does. And so when I look at Jesus and I look at his actions, I think he's fighting for people's hearts. He's fighting to be understood. He never excluded people purposefully. And so I I think Jer and uh, John use an example in the book when I think it's John and he's playing in um, an NGBA league where he's, he's hanging out with his gay brothers and sisters and he's playing basketball with them and just getting to know them. And he's a pastor of a church and somebody from his congregation runs up to him and says, well, you're not playing in that gay league, are you? And his response is, it doesn't matter where you fall in this issue. I can't think of a better community for me as a Christian to hang out with. And I agree. And so in answering my friend's question, what I was saying was it comes down to love and it comes down to like your heart. If your heart is in a place where you're trying to exclude and you're trying to follow these rules to make sure that you yourself are clean, well, then honestly, your heart's probably not in the right place. And you probably need to do some heart checking. Yeah. Sorry, I, I keep deferring to this book, but it's because the, the way they... It's just that good. It and is. You should really go out and read it and read it again and read it again. Um, and yeah. who knows, maybe, maybe we'll do, maybe we'll do a, uh, a prize or something at some point. Like maybe we'll have, we'll have a prize and we'll send out a book to somebody. Maybe oh, we'll there you go. Something. There you go. Yeah. She's in marketing. Honestly, she's, she's a good marketer. Aaron and I love this book and I, if I had the money, I would buy everybody a copy. It's that good. It really is. Yeah, it is. And the, the part that Kaylee was talking about here is, is there, I think it was John uh, who was talking about this, but, but he says from the book, many of the divides go buy it. There's an unfounded fear in many Christian circles perpetuating the lie that our faith is somehow compromised by spending time building relationships with people who think, act, or believe differently than we do. We mistakenly believe that if we associate with these people, they will lead us down the slippery slope of compromise. Isolating ourselves from difference and disagreement doesn't reflect a strong faith but a fragile one. Often the other isn't the problem, but our inability to trust in a God who transcends our perceived borders and boundaries. When we move toward people who are different from us, it doesn't compromise our faith. It reflects the very best of it. In fact, it was when I released my need to be understood or affirmed by fellow Christians that I was freed up to live more like Jesus. So it's just really well said. and All of that. Yeah, like, like Kaylee said, it does, regardless of where you, you stand on um, the LGBTQ community, man, we, we need to love on them. We, we need to love on people that have oftentimes been excluded by the church. And if there's a community uh, that has been unfairly and unrightly ostracized or attacked by the church, it is the LGBTQ community. Um, and there's a lot of making up to do in, in that respect. And as a, as a note, it, it does give me hope 
oh my goodness, that, that there are Christians that go out to pride parades and that hold banners and say, we're sorry for misunderstanding you. We're sorry for misjudging you. I mean, that is, that gives me so much hope and encouragement. And if you're in the LGBTQ community and you've never heard a Christian say that, let me say it. I am so sorry for the way that Christians have misunderstood and marginalized and excluded you. I'm so, so sorry for that. And I hope that we can do better and we will do better. Amen. All right. So again, back to uh, many of the divides. <laughs> that's the that's the theme of this. Go go buy it. So we're in the middle of this uh, story of the Good Samaritan. Um, the religious elite walked by the Good Samaritan who was bleeding and, and dying on the Jericho Road. The Levite walked by him. All right. So the next uh, little subheading is the problem of damaged sight. Something had damaged the priests and the Levites' ability to see this person as a human being. What was it? Was it an elevated sense of call or personal importance? Was it lifelong patterns of busyness and fulfilling an overly full schedule? Was it their understanding of what faithfulness required of them? Was it opinions, fears, and biases that had been ingrained into them through their upbringing? Had they heard and told stories, even jokes, about the Jericho Road and the kinds of people who got in trouble there? Let's make this a bit more personal. What about us? What has damaged our ability to see the humanity dignity, and image of God in other people? What are the variables that blind us from seeing people whose lives are different or broken? What inhibits us from seeing the pain of those closest to us? Is it our own sense of personal importance? Do we live by an unspoken cultural caste system that helps us identify who, who does and doesn't deserve our time, our touch, and our attention? How does the frenetic pace of our lives and our calendars blind us to what is beautiful and broken around us? What opinions, fears, and biases have been ingrained in us through our upbringing, the brand of church we've been a part of, and our preferred media sources? We, like the violent few and the religious elite of Jesus' story, have been trained to see and to not see certain people. The people we are most concerned about tend to be a homogenous, insulated few. We're very clear who the us and the them are, and we are careful to keep the distinction defined and the distance severe. To help with this, we tell each other stories in which we play the heroes and others are the villains. We speak of our others not as different, but as wrong, dangerous, violent, and to be feared. We trust only those who think, believe, sound, and act like us, and grow progressively suspicious of accents, skin tones, economic disparities, sexual orientations, political affiliations, and names of God that are different from ours. We manage our fear not by seeing them, building friendships, we're allowing them to teach us about who they are, but by not seeing them at all. Enter the Good Samaritan. Returning to the story Jesus told, the voiceless victim is still lying alone and unconscious on a violent road. The young lawyer and those listening were hanging on the words of Jesus and waiting anxiously to see what would happen next. With three words, the story took a dramatic twist. But a Samaritan, Luke 10 verse 33. Had Jesus stopped there, the consensus of the crowd would have been that this new character was being introduced to finish the job begun by the violent few. From a Jewish perspective, Samaritans were half-breeds with a tainted religion. They were despised, subhuman neighbors who were incapable of compassion and to be avoided at all costs. Surely, a representative of this immoral people would enact violence on the victim. 
Contrary to these expectations, Jesus elevated the Samaritan as the only one who refused to let racial or religious barriers hinder him from truly seeing the victim. Keep in mind what it was the Samaritan saw. He saw a broken human being who wore no clothes and thus carried no tribal identification. He saw an unconscious victim who couldn't be identified by language, dialect, or accent. While the victim was nothing but a bruised canvas, the Samaritan saw the humanity, dignity, and image of God in this broken life. This was the climax of the story. Jesus had just exposed the tendency of those in the listening crowd to misunderstand and reject people from different tribes and traditions as wrong and dangerous. By including this one foreign character, Jesus invited his listeners and us to see God at work in the lives of those who we would deem unorthodox, heretical, or of different faith traditions. Through his story of the compassionate Samaritan, Jesus invites us to look at those we've chosen not to see. He demands that we see them, for in doing so, we will be stunned by what we discover about who God is, what God is like, and who God is for. When we see the unconventional, those we've marginalized and misunderstood, as collaborators of peace, we will begin to humanize them. Jesus invited the lawyer, the listening crowd, and those of us today to look at the Samaritan and discover what it means to love and to be loved by our enemy. Do you hear the heart of God in this? We are the voiceless victims lying alone on a blood-soaked road. Our God saw our humanity. He saw our dignity. He saw his image in us. Ours is a God who saw our conflict-riddled story, our shattered reality, and our pain-induced plight. We have a God who saw our terminal disease and how we suffered because of it. Remarkably, what God saw neither caused him to sidestep us nor turn and walk away. Instead, what God saw stopped him dead in his tracks and became the most important thing in the world to him. Everyday peacemakers are men and women who choose to see the humanity, dignity, and image of God in others and who understand the plight of the voiceless. We are people who choose to see our own biases, opinions, lies, and fears, as well as our contributions to what is broken around us. We are men and women who acknowledge our blindness, understand what has contributed to it, and ask God to heal our sight. I think that's so incredibly powerful. And I love how he ends it by saying that, why are we doing this? Because it was first done to us. We were the first voiceless victims on the side of the road. And God saw us and he gave us compassion and love and clothed us. And so what option do we have other than to do that for others? That's our calling because it was first done to us. And that's so beautiful, I think, how he, he wraps it up that way. Yeah, no question. You know, this, this section really jumped out to us when thinking, I mean, so many sections in this book when, when we started this, this website, beautysaves.org, and this podcast, Seeking Peace. But it's all, all in an effort to, to try to push people to understand, especially Christians, uh, what we're called to do. And, and our, what we're called to do is, is not walk down either path that has been kind of laid out, laid out as, as the choices that you have in today's society. There is a, uh, a, a different, different way to do things. Uh, and it involves being creative in love, having a deeper understanding of what we're called to do. 
Um, and ultimately, it's, it's to reach people who are on the margins. So many times throughout the, the Bible and the Gospels, the, the, the call and the command is to reach out to the voiceless uh, and reach out to the people who are on the margins and who feel like they don't belong. Uh, because just like Kaylee just said, and, and what they, uh, Jer and John wrapped up in that section, we uh, were voiceless at one time. We didn't belong at one time, but God is saying to each and every one of us, I want you. It's an undeniable truth. It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, God wants you and he loves you. If you are gay or if you are straight, God loves you. If you are conservative or liberal or libertarian or independent, he loves you and he wants you. If you are from the United States or Latin America or Europe or Asia or Africa, he wants you. That is what he's saying to every single person on this planet, every single person that is listening right now. God is telling you right now, I want you. Just the way you are, come to me, I want you. As Christians, that, that needs to be our mindset. We, we've got to go to the people who uh, have this thought in their head that, you know, God's not for me. God doesn't want me or the church doesn't want me. Um, well, that church may not want you. They're wrong for not wanting you. God wants you. I can guarantee you that. Just piggybacking off of your point, I, I think that showing people and telling people that have been marginalized so a huge portion of the population that has been marginalized by the church, black people, people of color, they've been, they've been marginalized and misunderstood. It's so sad that Sundays are still so segregated in this country and there's a white church and a black church. And we're starting to see more diversity within churches, but that is a huge reason behind Beauty Saves is to see and understand and move on behalf of the black community. In the same way, I'm watching an episode of Queer Eye, and one of the guys says something that just utterly breaks my heart. He says, I've always felt loved by God, but I haven't always felt loved by the church and by Christians. And when we say Christians, we have to do better. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Like we have to love better. We have to support people more. We have to see the humanity in others and talking about being creative in love. I mean, Jesus was the most creative person in the Bible. He didn't do a single miracle the same way. We are called to be creative like that. We are called to see those people. And if we're not, I, I really, truly feel like we're taking this beautiful gift that God has given us and then we're holding it for ourselves and we're refusing to give it to, to other people. And that's just wrong. It just is wrong. Yeah. All right. So just kind of kind of summarizing the points we're trying to make here, uh, kind of the principles that we're trying to use to, to walk towards reconciliation to those around us, to our communities. The, the three-step process of see, immerse, and contend, it starts when, when we say Christians be better, we're calling 
and really not just Christians. This, again, if you're, if you're not a Christian, these are still principles that you can use, that you can, uh, that you can use to walk towards reconciliation to those around you. So those three steps are see, immerse, contend. See people. See the humanity in people. Don't see the, the differences. Don't see the vote. Don't see, um, you know, they, they may be doing bad things. I understand but try to see the humanity in that other person. See the humanity. Immerse. Immerse yourselves in, in their lives. Actually get to know them. Don't just have a conversation every now and then. That's good. That's a great place to start. But immerse into people's lives who are different than you. See the humanity. Before you try to solve their problems, hear what their problems actually are. Yeah, that, and that's that's an important distinction to make is that you're not, we're not calling you, hey, solve this person's problem. No, we're just calling you to immerse in their lives. Choosing empathy is a great journal entry to read if you're still a little fuzzy on that section. Um, so again, see their humanity, immerse in their lives, and then contend. Doing something, actionable steps to right the wrongs, to, to work towards justice, to work towards repairing the injustice that has happened. And that can be a very difficult step. And that's a, a definitely a step that looks very different in so many different instances. And there's no just kind of one generic way we can tell you what contending looks like. But hopefully in the weeks to come and the stories that we're going to tell, contending is going to become a much clearer idea to you. And we are so excited about what is to come. We are going to be talking to some amazing people who live out these things, who, who see, immerse, and contend in their, regular, in their regular everyday lives. These are people that Aaron and I are friends with and we look up to, and we are just so excited to bring you um, more conversations on immersing and contending and how to do that in this day and age. And how to have difficult conversations. And, and we're so excited to share with you some of the projects that our friends are working on. And how you can support people who are already doing this in communities across the United States. So um, we are so excited to bring this to you. Just as a quick note, um, probably moving forward, we'll probably have podcasts out every other week or so. Hopefully as we uh get more interviews and um, talk to more people. We will be on a regular week basis. That's our goal. But for now, it's probably going to be a bi-weekly basis that this podcast will come out. We are talking to one of my friends uh, next week, and I'm so excited to bring you that podcast. Uh, his name is Andre. He does amazing work. And if you want to check it out beforehand, uh, he is an Adobe resident. Um, so he, he travels all across the country, just doing amazing work, taking amazing pictures. He's actually working on a project right now with immigrants and showing their stories. Um, it's called nation of newcomers. You can look it up, um, on Facebook as well as Instagram, or you can go to nationofnewcomers.com to look up some of his work. We'll talk to him more about his work and what he's doing um, in his life, but it, it's some awesome stuff. It really, really is. 
Yeah, we're really, really excited to to talk to Andre and, and to talk to more people. Again, like we said from the beginning, Kaylee and I are not experts. Um, we want to talk to people who are doing this much better than we are, who have been doing this for much longer. Um, and ultimately, we just want to tell people stories. And I think especially right now, the priority uh, needs to be understanding someone's story before trying to get an idea of what they believe. Because our stories are so important in shaping what we believe and how we view the world. So really excited to have Andre on as, as our, first, our, our first guest to have that conversation with him and to, uh, and to tell his story. Thank you guys for joining in. Of course, as always, you can go to our website, beautysaves.org. You can check out the podcast in iTunes, Podbean. And if there's any other places that you guys use podcasts and, and listen to podcasts, just let us know. We can easily put them up on other places. Right now, it's mainly on iTunes or our website or Podbean. Um, but definitely drop us a review, listen to the episode, share it with your friends if you found it helpful or if you found it interesting. And we will have some more journal entries as well as some stories coming out on the website, beautysaves.org. Thank you so much for listening. God bless and find beauty in someone's story today. And go buy Mending the Divides. Go buy it. <laughs> <laughs>